As you may have been aware, Lynn and I went down to Delaware at Thanksgiving time to visit our oldest daughter, Caitlin, and her husband, Ryan, and our granddaughter, Ava. And Ryan and Caitlin have two high school foreign exchange students that are living with them this year, two high school girls, Carme from Spain and Bomi from South Korea. And this was our first opportunity to get to, to, uh, to meet them and to interact with them for several days. They have an extraordinary command of the English language. I would never be able to do that. <laughs> Imagine being 17 years old and living for nine months or so in a foreign country and, and on your own for all intents and purposes. So I, I give them kudos for how well they're doing. We, we spent a lot of time, though, recognizing how difficult it is to communicate with somebody who's, whose first language is not English. Do you know that there are tongue twisters in English, right? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Yeah, that's as fast as I'm going to go. Well, lo and behold, in South Korea, in Korean, they have tongue twisters too, and I can't obviously relate them to you, but they're just as crazy sounding as Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. And you begin to realize in, in pretty short order that they learned English in a classroom from vocabulary books, dictionaries, and, and they got all the right definitions. And, and you begin to realize that a lot of our communication takes place through idioms that are just really confusing to somebody who hasn't grown up with them. So what does being out in left field really mean? To a Korean girl who might be familiar with baseball, but it's not about baseball, is it? Or crazier than a loon. By the way, how is loon spelled in that sentence? Is it L-O-O-N, like the birds that we know up here, or is it L-U-N-E, short for lunatic? I, I don't know. How do you explain that to somebody in Spanish? And let's not even talk about the word wicked. <laughs> we, we spent four or five days there talking English, but not necessarily communicating. Because what they thought we meant and what we were saying might have been often uh, two different things completely. I, I want to take us to a story this morning, though, about two women who were absolutely speaking the same language. Two women who were on the same wavelength. If you'll join me in Luke chapter 1, we'll continue in this Advent season through these opening paragraphs of Luke's gospel this morning having a look at Mary's conversation with Elizabeth. I'll pick up reading in verse 39. At that time, speaking of the time that Elizabeth was six months along in her pregnancy, Mary had just been told that she would become pregnant. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, probably with equal gusto, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble estate or the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I don't know about you, but the word that captures the atmosphere, the feel of this story, this conversation, is the word joy. Now, it's probable that nobody but Mary knew that she was pregnant. According to Luke's telling of the story, she was told by the angel that she would become pregnant, and then she took off to go visit her relative, her cousin Elizabeth. So there's a good chance that this was a secret that she was holding on to. One might think then that this was a case of misery loving company. Imagine you're a teenage girl, you're told by an angel that you're going to have a child. You're told that that child will be the savior of the world. You're thinking about all of the changes that are going to take place in your life, your family, your relationships. You're probably overwhelmed by this and all of the, all the changes it's going to, to entail. You're probably feeling alone in the world and you think you've been told that you've got this old barren aunt, cousin, who is is pregnant also. And so you reach out like, I need somebody that knows my story. I need somebody that's sharing a similar kind of of an experience that I am. I need somebody to support me because I am all alone in this, right? So you might have thought that Mary is making this journey from Nazareth to Judea because she's just miserable, anticipating, anxious about what's going to happen, and she's looking for a little comfort. She's looking for a supportive shoulder on which to cry. But the joy that's expressed in this greeting just sends all of that out the door. I don't think she's miserable. I don't think she's anxious. Oh, certainly there are unanswered questions she's probably asking, but I don't think she was nervous or anxious or or distraught about this. She was full of joy. There's an awful lot of joy in that room, a lot of evidence that there was joy. First, there's John, the unborn baby in Elizabeth's womb, leaping for joy. Ladies that have born children, 
You know that experience, don't you? Husbands who were courageous enough to put a hand on their woman's abdomen when the baby was six or seven months old and feel that baby rolling around. You know what this feels like, right? And from the stories I've heard and from our own experiences, there is a certain level of joy in that, right? I'm not sure the baby is rolling around because of joy, but the parents take joy in that. So there's John leaping for joy in utero. There's Elizabeth gushing a blessing over Mary and her baby. And I don't think that's uh, the wrong word to use. Gushing a blessing over Mary and her baby. In verse 45, the word blessed there is the same one that Jesus will eventually use in the Beatitudes. One translator translates that word blessed, spiritually prosperous. Mary, you are spiritually prosperous. Because you believe that the Lord would fulfill his promises to you. Another translator translates that word blessed. Oh, the bliss. Oh, the bliss is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the blessing that Elizabeth is pronouncing over Mary and her unborn son, Jesus. And then there's the joy of Mary. Breaking into song, this extraordinary poem spoken to her Lord. We call it the Magnificat because of the first word of that, my soul glorifies the Lord. The word for rejoice or joy here in this passage is a different one than is used in the fruit of the Spirit when it speaks of joy. In Galatians, the joy that Paul is talking about is the joy, the happiness of being in right relationship with God. Here, the word that's used is related to that. It's it's a loud public expression of joy in worship. It's what we were doing when we were singing together. It's what happens when somebody hollers out, Amen, I believe it. This joy is the attitude we have because of our unshakable confidence that we are in right relationship with God. It's the joy that we have because of our unshakable confidence in the work and the grace of God in our life and through us. Let's take a little closer look at Mary's joyful song. There are parallels, obviously, to the song that Hannah spoke when she was told that she would give birth to a son who became known as Samuel. One starts, my heart rejoices. The other starts, my spirit rejoices. And in both of these songs, there's a juxtaposition between power on the one hand and weakness on the other. Between wealth and poverty. Between pride and humility. In both cases, these ladies are announcing the kingdom of God that's breaking out in and through their lives and their sons. And it's a kingdom that doesn't look like what people expect. We're used to strong right-handed power. We just beat people into submission if that's what we want to do. But that's not the way God operates, is it? God uses death on a cross to solve the problem of sin 
instead of strong-arm tactics and intimidation. God raises up those who are at the bottom of society's ladder. The most humble among us, those are the ones that God seems to have his eye locked on to, doesn't he? When we think we've climbed that ladder and we've reached the apex, who look out, God's going to come in and knock that tower down, isn't he? So in both of these songs, these ladies speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are announcing God's ways, not our ways. It's the unexpected attention of God to those who the world ignores and overlooks, the humble and the weak. And these ladies, one because she was barren, the other for some unknown reason, God chose her. God is going to use these weak, humble, invisible women for his purposes. I let my imagination go a little bit this week. Do you suppose that Mary continued to sing this song perhaps as a lullaby over infant Jesus? Do you suppose this was one of those tunes that just got stuck in her mind? You know how that works, right? You hear that great rock tune from the 70s that was so popular and, and you just you start singing and three, three days later you're still singing. You know what that's like? Do you suppose Mary was singing this song for years to come? Do you suppose that as Mary and Joseph and Jesus were fleeing Bethlehem to go to Egypt because they were afraid that Herod was going to seek them out and kill them and there was evidence for that, right? Do you suppose that on that journey to Egypt she was singing this song? God is going to raise up the humble and he's going to bring down the powerful. Do you suppose on their way back from Egypt several years later, on their way back to Nazareth, Mary was singing this song and Jesus, a slightly older little boy, was hearing that song at a deeper level than he had when he was probably only two years old and heard it for the first time perhaps? Do you suppose that Mary's song was one of the things that tuned Jesus' ears to the voice of his heavenly father so that as he was growing up the image of the kingdom of God that he was beginning to dream about was not a kingdom where powerful people got their way but instead it was a kingdom where weak people were lifted up by their heavenly father do you suppose this song helped Jesus to begin to understand what it would be to be the Messiah that God had sent into a troubled world Do you suppose in the synagogue in Nazareth, 30 years later when Jesus was handed the scripture, the scroll of Isaiah, and he he looked and he began reading this passage that talked about the poor and the prisoners and the blind, freedom for those who were oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor. Do you suppose Jesus is saying, boy, that sounds an awful lot like mom's song. This is a conversation between Elizabeth and Mary, full of joy. And yet a closer look reveals that it's a conversation that includes an unseen participant who seems not only to be revealing information that these ladies and this unborn son in in Elizabeth's womb didn't understand or didn't have yet, 
but also an unseen participant who helped these two ladies to communicate at a level of unity unknown, perhaps, before in human history. There was an invisible conversationalist involved in this episode that we've just read. And how else did the unborn John recognize Mary's voice and leap for joy? Mary's voice was not the first voice that that unborn child would have heard around him in those six months, right? There was aunts and uncles and other people. Of course, his dad wasn't saying anything. (laughs) But Mary's was not the first voice. But when Mary spoke, John recognized that voice and leapt for joy. How else would Elizabeth know to call Mary the mother of my Lord? The word Lord there is karios, which is a word that Luke uses especially to emphasize the deity of Jesus. In other words, Elizabeth recognizes in this young relative of hers that the baby being soon to be born in her was God in the flesh. How did she know that? How could Mary have been, have so accurately described the impact of her unborn son's messianic ministry when she launches into the song? How did she know that Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah that would rule with a sword, but instead he would be the kind of Messiah who would die on a cross? How did she know that? The answer in Elizabeth's case is that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that right there in verse 41, doesn't it? She was filled with the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that the Holy Spirit was the third, or or maybe counting John, the fourth person in the room that day in that conversation. John the Baptist recognizes Mary and Jesus and leaps for joy in Elizabeth's room. I wonder if this was a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in verse 15 of this chapter where the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Do you suppose this was the moment? What did you do? What did you say when you were filled with the Holy Spirit? I say, what did you say? What did you do when you were filled with the Holy Spirit? I was bawling my eyes out. Maybe I would have said, woohoo. So perhaps John leapt because he was being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was giving him a first glimpse of what his mission would be. Elizabeth, completely unaware of Mary's story and pregnancy, pronounces Mary's baby her Lord. How else would she have known the promises that the angel Gabriel had made to her cousin if it weren't for the Holy Spirit giving her that information? Mary bursts into spirit-inspired song, prophetically sketching out the impact of the ministry that her son, the Messiah, will have. She draws on these parallels with Hannah's song at the annunciation of her son Samuel. Samuel would become a prophet and a priest and a judge, right? Mary's son would become prophet, priest, and king. Mary's song is clearly more than just a thank you for making me pregnant, God. 
It's a revelation from God. One commentator called it the gospel before the gospel. Perhaps go back this afternoon and read Mary's song beginning at verse 46, thinking, how is this the gospel before the gospel? But that's what it is. It's a foreshadowing of the life and the ministry of Jesus. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to enter into a conversation with God. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have a conversation with God in which God gives us revelation about himself and his plans for us, our lives, our world. He gives us the assurance that we will, that he will do the heavy lifting, doesn't he? God says to you, I'm calling you to be an ambassador. But I'm going to give you the words and the wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm calling you to be an ambassador, not the Savior. You're the ambassador. I'm going to do the heavy work of saving people. He gives us the assurance that he will do all that needs to be done. He validates our worthiness to be his partners in ministry. Do you ever wonder, am I worthy? Well, of course you're not. But he makes you worthy, doesn't he? By his righteousness, we become his examples, his icons, his images in the world, his partners in ministry. No matter how humble our resources or our potential, God validates that he has called us for his purposes. We are his people. And ultimately, God gives us joy through the Holy Spirit. The phrase to be filled with the Holy Spirit that's used here about Elizabeth will become Luke's key phrase in the book of Acts. He will go on to tell the story of Jesus and following that he'll tell the story of the church in the book of Acts. And the being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the key phrases that he comes back to time and time and time again. The success of the first apostles and the success of the early church and the success of this congregation is due to the fact that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not that we're using best practices, not that we've had the best training programs. It's because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. A major part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God to us. When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room on the night that he was arrested, according to John, Jesus said that the Spirit would testify to us about Jesus. You and I weren't there, but the Spirit testifies to us about Jesus, his life, his mission. Jesus also said at that Last Supper that the Spirit would guide us into all truth. And that's not just the knowledge of the details, the facts, the figures, the stories. Guiding us into all truth is the experience that we have of being filled with the Holy Spirit that we might become the incarnation of Christ in our world. The Holy Spirit is the invisible third party in every conversation we have. You hear that? Every conversation you have with your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, 
with colleagues at work, with fellow students at school, the conversations you have, random conversations throughout any given day, the short little news, sports, and weather conversations with the cashier, every conversation has at least two participants, you and the other person, but the third one, the Holy Spirit, is always there as well. They're inspiring us revealing himself to us, assuring us, validating us, and bringing us joy. This leads me to a recommendation I would like you to consider today. This conversation between Elizabeth and Mary, with the Holy Spirit being the third unseen participant is an example of an ancient prayer discipline known as spiritual direction. Spiritual direction is helpful because we have a, we have a major problem when it comes to communication, even more major than not speaking Spanish or Korean or English very well. The difficulty is that we human beings have a hard time being objective about ourselves. So when we're having a conversation with God, there's always this nagging question in the back of my mind. Is that God speaking? Or is that me speaking? Is that God speaking or is it my upbringing speaking? Is that God speaking or is it the culture in which I live speaking? Is that God speaking? I'm not sure I can always tell. Sure, there are, there are times where it just seems to be overwhelming, but in the ordinary day-to-day routine conversations we have with God, sometimes it's hard to be objective, isn't it? And so therefore, it's, it's helpful to have a neutral observer, a friend, a companion on the journey, somebody who will listen to you describe the conversation you're having with God, who's a little bit more objective about you than you can ever be uh, about yourself, who might be able to say, well, here's what I'm hearing. This is what I'm observing. Uh, knowing you as I do, I, I wonder if maybe this isn't some background, some culture, some upbringing. Or maybe, you know, I have sensed the same thing about you. I got home from work the day God called me to be a pastor, and I picked up my telephone and I called my pastor, Harold Perry. And I said, Pastor Perry, you won't believe what happened today, but God told me he wanted me to go to college and prepare to be a pastor. I'm not sure what I was hoping Pastor Perry would say. Maybe I was hoping he would say, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Go back to packing groceries. <laughs> but instead he said, you know, I've been meaning to have a conversation with you for several weeks now because my sense has been that God was calling you to be a pastor. That's spiritual direction. It's another person validating what I had experienced. We have a difficult time sometimes recognizing and hearing God correctly. And so it's good to have a spiritual director, a person who can help make sure that we're listening to all that God has to say, that we're considering all of the other options and help us to hone in on what's really happening in our lives. 
Spiritual direction is a way of praying with another person in which the spiritual director provides a listening ear and a sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is saying, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. A biblical example of this is Paul on his way to Damascus. And he has this encounter with God where he's blinded by this light and told to go into the city. God reveals himself, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Now I want you to go into the city and there you're going to find a guy named Ananias. And at the same time, Paul is having, God is having this conversation with Paul. God, the Holy Spirit, is having a conversation with Ananias, right? Ananias, you know that guy named Saul that's been persecuting the church, hounding people to death? Well, he just got saved. Ananias is saying, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> he's the last one in the world that would get saved. But God says, no, he actually got saved. And he's on his way to your city. And I want you to go find him because he needs to have his eyes opened. He needs to have somebody help him process this 180 degree turnaround that's just taken place in his life. Ananias helps Paul understand what's happened in his life. That's spiritual direction. We have a need to pray with one another. And that need is all the greater these days in a world where it seems like God is disappearing. People say he's irrelevant. Uh, He's not doing anything in our world. Don't turn to God for any help because you're not going to find any help there. In a world where increasingly that is the attitude that people have, we need to be able to talk with one another to help us recognize what God is doing and saying in our lives. We need a prayer companion, a a person who will walk with us on the journey to help us discern God's presence in his work. Spiritual direction runs the gamut from just a close Christian friend, your husband and wife, a, a person that you know, knows and trusts the Lord, and knows how to pray, that could be a spiritual director. Somebody that you just have spiritual conversations with. Do you have somebody like that? I mean, you don't have to have the conversations every day, but do you you have somebody in your life that you've had a spiritual conversation with before? You see a show of upraised hand. We've got two, three, yeah, counting, all right, all right, yeah. So go to that person. If you sense God is saying or doing something in your life, go to that person and say, this is what I'm hearing. This is what the leading I'm sensing. What do you think? It could be that simple. At the other end of the spectrum, there are are trained and certified spiritual directors. Ten years ago, I took a two-year spiritual direction certificate program. I've been providing spiritual direction for a number of people for the last ten years. I've been seeing my spiritual director directors over the last ten years on on a monthly basis. So if, if that's something that you would like to know more about, if you'd like to pursue that, perhaps I'd invite you to give me a call. Stop by the office. Let's have a conversation about that. I have found more joy in being a spiritual director than just about anything else I have ever done in my life. Because there is nothing quite as exciting as to be in partnership with somebody else talking about what God is saying and doing in our lives. 
It may seem to many people that God is invisible. God is gone. God is dead. But I can tell you in the people's lives that I've been spiritual directed for, God is alive and kicking (laughs) and doing some extraordinary things. Let's come back to the opening words of Mary's song. Go to that next slide. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God is mindful. He is attentive. God is listening. God wants more than anything else to have a conversation with you and with me. And he's attentive to our humble condition. Who am I? Nobody's paying attention to me. Not God is paying attention to you. Where am I in life? It seems like this has just been the worst two years of my life. Everything in the world literally is going wrong. But God is there with us, isn't he? God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. He knows that the clutter and the babble and the confusion of our lives keeps us from hearing and understanding him as accurately as we should. Therefore, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He brings alongside us partners who can also hear what God is saying to us and to them. He provides a teacher, a guide, a comforter. He gives us companions for the journey. And the outcome of all of that, I would suggest to you, is joy. (laughs) Woohoo, praise God, joy. The joy of being in right relationship with God and on the same wavelength as one another through his Holy Spirit. The inner joy is expressed in joyful words and worship that bubbles over as effusively as that of Mary and Elizabeth and that bouncing unborn baby John. God gives us, hear this, God gives us his Holy Spirit and companions on the journey in order that we might have the joy of the Lord. You hear that? God gives us his Holy Spirit and companions on the journey in order to bring us the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. And specifically right now, I would like you to be listening for what God may have said to you during this sermon. What is the truth, the encouragement, the validation the command, the commission, what is it that God has spoken to you about this morning? And how clear is that to you right now? Is there any other explanation other than the Holy Spirit that might be presenting itself to you?
would it help if you had a conversation on the way home with your husband, your wife, somebody in your family, a friend, and you told them what God was saying to you this morning or what you think he might be saying to you? Lord, speak to us. We are your servants. We believe that you are a God who speaks, who calls, who commissions, who instructs, who inspires. And we want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are the one that's calling us. And we commit to obeying your call. We commit to receiving the gifts that you want to give to us. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Now, here's another thing. Think of somebody that's especially close to you. Perhaps somebody that's going through a trying ordeal in their life. Perhaps somebody who's in the throes of making a decision of some sort. person that's feeling especially down and discouraged. Maybe a person who's just received some accolade, some reward, some promotion, some happy thing in their life. What might God be saying to you about that person, that situation. What might God be saying to you to pass along to that person? What might God be asking you to pray for that person? I believe that God is still calling to Paul's and Ananias's, linking them together. We believe this. We, we ask people to pray for us, don't we? How better to pray for somebody than to say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? Listen as God speaks to you about that friend. Lord, we thank you in this Advent season for this story about Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. thank you for opening our eyes to the Holy Spirit who is filling them and encouraging them and refining them and bringing joy to them. Lord, we thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit and helping one another 
to experience the fullness of that feeling, to experience the fullness of that feeling. Lord, help us to be your people of prayer. Help us to recognize your Holy Spirit as you speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen.